know, I uh, go to a few places around town, and typically I'm known as uh, Pastor Phil or Phil Cruz, uh, pastor at Rencon. I go to Desert Christian, though, and I'm known as Shelly's husband, <laughs> which is nice. And I come to Midtown, and I'm Caleb's dad. <laughs> so that's nice. Uh, before I read the scripture for this evening's uh, message, I, I just want to say a couple things about uh, this evening. So uh, Charles said this as we began, um, that uh, this, uh, this plant, this church, this body um, was, uh, has been prayed for for a long time. It has been um, dreamt about and um, planned uh, and schemed and uh, worked hard at um, by a number of people in this room, uh, including the, the pastors and elders at the other PCA churches here in town. And uh, it's just such a wonderful thing to be able to come to the particularization service, that, that fun Presbyterian word, uh, to be here and to see this become your own self-governing body and a distinct body that, that Christ has uh, given birth to here in Tucson. So uh, congratulations, thank you. Thank you to Charles and Julie for all of your hard work. And uh, it's just an exciting night. It's a wonderful night to be here. So thank you. Thank you for uh, allowing me to come and preach uh, the, the sermon for your service this evening. Let's, uh, let's read 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we spend a few minutes now considering your word, will you uh, take, take the, the words of this servant um, and, and go far beyond them. Go, go to where our hearts need refreshment, where our hearts need encouragement, where, uh, where our souls long for a, a balm, a, a healing elixir that would allow us to, to see you and to know you and to, to be free of uh, so many of the trials, the, the difficulties that we go through in life. Will you use this to, to speak to our hearts and then, uh, and then help us then to apply these things, to, to take them to heart, uh, to, to love, to love as we've been taught. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm, uh, I'm quite certain that uh, those who were elected as elders uh, for this congregation that will be ordained and installed this evening have been uh, diligently studying the book of church order each night. And, uh, well, as I do, right, it's good reading material right before you go to bed. Put you right out. Um, but I'm sure they've been reading it. I'm sure they've been memorizing that chapter 8. It's chapter 8, right, on the elders. Isn't that uh, 
the one on the elders and your roles and the things that you're responsible to do. But I'm, I'm, I just want to make sure you didn't miss this line in the book of church order. So this is what it says. Um, it says that all those duties which private Christians are bound to discharge by the law of love are especially incumbent upon them, that is the elders, by divine vocation and are to be discharged as official duties. So what is expected of the rest of the body, what's expected of the rest of the flock, uh, according to the rule of love, which is the, the rule of Christ, right? It's the, the fact that we are called to love one another and, and to love God. Uh, out of that, the elders, well, the whole congregation is called to, to duties, to love one another, and then the elders are called to do that ever so much more so. So one of my favorite books uh, is a, a book called Homer Price, and it's about my favorite character, Homer Price. And uh, Homer Price is a young man that lives in Centerville, and uh, Homer Price loves working with radios, he loves working with gadgets, he loves doing all these little creative things, and he's got a little workshop that he does all these things in, and, and uh, he's very, very creative, very inventive. Um, but uh, he, he lives in this little humdrum town out in the middle of nowhere. But, but one, one day, this, this man comes to town. And his name is Professor Atmos P.H. Ear, or Professor Atmosphere. And what Professor Atmosphere does is he is offloading this, uh, this incredible elixir. It's an experience-enhancing elixir that when you shake it on something, it came in a canister, and when you shook it on something, it would make, it would make bad things good and it would make good things better. So uh, a bed that was soft would become even softer. And uh, bacon would become more bacony, <laughs> if that's possible. Uh, that type of thing. So it was this thing he was offloading on all the people, and everybody was going crazy for this elixir. Well, Homer, Homer didn't see what the fuss was all about. And uh, sorry, spoiler alert: he does disclose, or he does uh, let everybody know later on in the story that it's nothing other than air. It's atmosphere. That's that's uh, one of Homer's best best lines in the whole the whole book is that uh, this guy is full of air. Hot air. That's all he's got for us. So the the thing that appeals to us though in the story, the thing that, that catches our attention, the thing that got the attention of everybody in Centerville was that that's, that's kind of what we long for. We long for something that will make the bad things in life go away. Or the bad things in life better and make the good things in life even better yet that's really what we long for we're looking for that sort of thing and that's the appeal that professor atmosphere bought and sold his his elixir on well that type of elixir that potion is exactly what we have in god's love that's exactly what we have in God's love for us. And it's God's love for us that makes the bad things better and makes the good things even better yet. 
God's love for us is the purest and most powerful of potions. It's the balm of Gilead. It's the salve for the soul. And it is what God has shown you and me. And it is what makes a difference in all that we do and all that we know. It is, it is ever so much more so. It is ever so much more so. More than we can fully comprehend. And what Paul gives us when he tells, these, tells us these things in this letter to the Thessalonians is that he calls us to know God's love. That is ever so much more so. But then to, to give that love, to live out that love in a manner that's ever so much more so. That's what he's called Midtown Presbyterian Church together to do. Love God, love neighbor. Ever so much more so. And here's how we do it. Here's what, here's what Paul says. Um, he says that God, God loves us ever so much more so, so that we can't miss it. He, lived, he loves us so much. In fact, here's what, here's what it actually says. If you go back to the, the bulletin where the text is written, it says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have, no one need, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love, to love one another. So when we think about God, we, we know there, there are Bible verses that say that God is love. We know that, that most uh, famous of Bible verses, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So Paul basically says, I don't need to teach you about love. God has taught you how to love. And the way that He's done that is by loving you. By loving you and accepting you. By taking you into His family. Uh, Eugenia Price, uh, no relation to Homer Price, uh, Eugenia Price was a uh, historical novelist, and she said, we love according to the way we're taught to love. And that's how we love one another. That's how we learn to love one another, is by God loving us. By loving us so much that he would send his son to become one of us, to become a human, to take on flesh, and then to live out a life where he was uh, treated terribly, uh, betrayed, beaten, bruised, battered, murdered, hung on a tree, stuffed into the ground into a tomb. That's how much God loved us, that he became one of us. That he would, that he would come and give up everything, give up the glories of heaven to simply become a man. How, how crazy is that? How crazy loving is that? So God comes and, and shows us love, and, and it's, in, it's in Jesus Christ that we really learn what this kind of love is that Paul's talking about. Because it is a love for one another. It's a, it's a brotherly love. The, the word that he uses there um, is the word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. Love for one another. Love for the brothers. Now concerning brotherly love. That kind of brotherly love is the, um, it's the shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder kind of love as you walk through life together. It's that kind of love that, uh, that, that communicates, I've got your back. 
And so as uh, you come and particularize and uh, you ordain and install your first elders and your first deacons, you have already been exhibiting this kind of shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder love, this kind of walking through life together. And you've been demonstrating that in front of the body. And that's what you're called to do as elders, as deacons, as officers in the church to, to show that kind of love, to, to demonstrate what it means to walk beside each other. And I've had the, I've had the privilege of knowing almost all these officers for a number of years um, and have walked through some of you, some, with some of you, some very, very difficult things, some very hard trials of life, walked through some, some uh, very difficult questions about life and about ministry and about how they're supposed to work and how we care for one another. Um, how marriages work. We've walked through a lot of things, and, and that gives us this sense, this idea, this understanding of, of walking through life together, this kind of brotherly love, shoulder to shoulder, got your back. I've got your back no matter what. So as this, this session, this group of elders works together, you will develop that kind of love for one another, or already have. Um, the fact that you're coming to a particularization service instead of a funeral service because you haven't killed each other yet. <laughs> uh, you guys love each other. You've already demonstrated it. You've been growing in it. And, and what God calls you to do, elders, deacons, uh, it is, is beyond, beyond what the, the Christian duties are expected of the rest of the flock. You are given a, a, a heavy mantle. The book of church order said something about doing something that is incumbent upon you more than others. Uh, Paul says um, in verse uh, 11 to, or in verse, uh, in verse 10, at the end of verse 10, we urge you brothers to do this more and more. Uh, Robert McCloskey and Homer Price says to do it ever so much more so. To love each other ever so much more so. To go to the end with each other. To go to bat for each other. To stand with each other shoulder to shoulder, back to back. Taking care of each other and taking care of the flock. Because as you love each other, then what happens is the body loves each other. The body grows in that. It starts with Christ. Christ is the one who teaches us. And then it is in his elders, those who are placed in responsibility, placed in these offices in the church that continue to teach that and show that and demonstrate that over and over and over again so that the body does that as well. So that you within the body, all you, all you lovely sheep, love one another, that you care for one another as you see your elders and your pastor love one another and love you. So that kind of brotherly love is is what's uh, expected of the elders and you know um, I was able to sit in on their examination uh, a few weeks ago actually twice um, 
But it was, it was so, it's always refreshing for me to do that as a, as a fellow presbyter, a fellow member of this, this regional church that we have. And, and uh, to see other men, to hear other men proclaim what they know and understand about the gospel and about the Bible and about ministry and about their roles and about theology and to, to hear them answer those questions and to do that and, and to hear it, to hear it from eight, uh, seven, seven very different men, seven very uniquely called men coming from different different walks of life, different different places where you work and you serve in your in your life outside the church, but then coming together as one body, coming together to help rule, help govern, help care for this flock. That's that's God's work when he takes such such different people and brings us together to make one one body, one unit. That's what the whole body of Christ is, right? As you, as you look around and as you look at people that are sitting down the row from you and you, you see really how strange they are, how, how weird they look and what, what kind of people they're like. Uh, God does this amazing work of bringing people that are so different. I'm not saying this just about Midtown, by the way. Rencon is more odd than you. <laughs> And I'm not just saying about Redcon because Holy Cross, no. no. <laughs> and Catalina Foothills. <laughs> but God takes us all different walks of life and, and such different people, different, different motivations, different desires, different backgrounds, different loves, and brings us together into one body to serve our Lord, to serve one purpose, to love God and to love neighbor. So he teaches us, he teaches us how to do this. God teaches us, God the Father, and then God the Son comes and, and walks beside us. He's the one that comes shoulder to shoulder with us and walks through life with us and loves us, as John 13, 1 says, loves us to the end, loves us to the very end, loves us to the end of his life, but also loves us to the end of our lives, loves us through our lives into, into the next life into the next place he has for us so God teaches us this love and then Paul comments here about how this love changes us um, he says in verse 10 for that indeed is what you're doing lo loving one another you're loving one another. You're loving all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we've instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and dependent on no one. So maybe maybe we can consider that first part directed more directly at the elders, but this these next few verses directed to all of us, to all of us as the flock, the people of God, that we, we are to aspire to these three things that he calls us to do. Uh, the first thing is he calls us to live quietly or to live quiet lives. And so I think that can be taken a couple of ways. Number one is, are you, are you the type of person or, or is your, 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 your marriage or um, 
the issues you like to talk about? Are you the loudest person in the room? How, how loud are you? Do you like to draw attention to yourself? Are you a person that likes to have the attention of the room around you? Or the people around you? Or do you live a quiet life where when you need help, when you need counsel, you go and seek that. You go and seek that quietly. But you don't raise a ruckus and you don't make it a public scene. So I think that may be part of what Paul's getting at here. But the other thing I think is just, uh, I asked the question of my congregation the other day, um, what, what volume, what volume are you living at? How high is the gain on your life? How, how high, how crazy is your life? How, how busy are you? Living quietly, living a quiet life means that you live a life that is focused and it's not, it's not highly visible. It's not, a, it's not an outwardly highly visible life. Now, I'm sure there are some who are called to those kinds of things, public office, etc. But generally speaking, that we're to live a quiet life. We're to live quietly before others. And to um, and, and that that being in itself an act of love. This is part of the brotherly love. To live a quiet life means that you love others, and that you don't you don't have expectations of them that are unreasonable. To always be listening to you. So you live a quiet life. You you turn down the game, perhaps. You you take a, an honest look at your schedule and you talk with your spouse or with your friends about how are we spending all our time? How are we how what are we doing with all of the, the, the time that God has given us? Are we are we living for ourselves? Or are we living for others? Are we living at a high volume and are we trying to pack as much in as we can? Or are we living simply and taking things as God sends them our way and enjoying them for what they are. So living a quiet life, how, how, how uh, loud are you? What's your volume like? And then, and then the next one is uh, minding your own affairs. Uh, to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Uh, basically to mind your own business. Just stick to your own business. Don't worry about other people's business. Now, Again, you as elders and, and, and people in the congregation need to know the elders are going to get into your business. That's their job. That's their role. Their, their role is to know you and to know what's troubling you and to know where you need to be fed, where you need to rest, where you need to be brought by those still waters. Right? That's one of their roles as pastor. They are pastors to you. And they will lead you to those places where you need refreshment. And they will, they will get into your business so that, so that you can work things out. And sometimes it will be by your invitation. And I want to encourage you to do that, to invite them into your business. But then sometimes they're going to have to step into your business even when you haven't invited them. And they're doing that because they love you. Believe me. They don't want to be in your business. <laughs> but they will get into your business because they love you. But as far as you're concerned, as far as the rest of the flock goes, we're, we're not meant to, we're not meant to, um, to, to, to go to the extent where we're, we're so, 
we're so uh, titillated, excited by, by what's going on in someone else's life that we, we want to seek it out. We want to have this listening ear. We want to be in the know. We want to know what's going on. We want to know what's happening in other people's life, not because we're so concerned about them, but because we just want to be the one to know and then perhaps to be the one to tell someone else. And so Paul says the way we love each other is to mind your own affairs. Uh, Jesus told us we've got enough problems with every day. Every day has enough problems of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about other people's issues. Now, again, that doesn't mean don't pray for each other, don't care for each other, don't. but that's an invitation time, right, where you're invited into someone else's life. But mind your own affairs. Aspire to live quiet lives and then to live civilly with each other, to mind your own affairs. And then he says uh, to work with your hands. So aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands. Now, in Thessalonica, there was apparently, because Paul has addressed this elsewhere, there was apparently a problem with some, some of the people in the church being idle, not, not working as they were meant to, and, and drawing on, expecting help from the church, help from other believers to take care of their family, to take care of uh, others perhaps in the community. But Paul makes it really clear that we're to work with our hands. We're to do something productive. That doesn't mean necessarily something with, with a salary, with income. But it means not being a burden to others. That's, that's the way we love one another, is by not being a burden to those around us. But working with our hands. And when we're unable to, then the church comes and the church helps. That's why we have a, a deacon board, a, a deacon, a group of men that are ready to help with those kinds of needs. But we love each other as we work with our hands, as we, as we labor to take, take the pressure off the rest of the church. So, Midtown Presbyterian Church, you are called by God to love, to love one another, to love God, to love your neighbor. And uh, God has taught you by giving you His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. He's taught you what love means, to walk with each other, to be shoulder to shoulder, to cover each other's backs, but then to live a life that's, that's quiet, that works hard, that's diligent. Service in the church is part of that. And then to mind your own affairs. But in all of that, to love one another, to seek how God is calling you specifically as a body here at Midtown Church. Great catch. Great West. But that's what God's calling you to do, simply to love, to love one another. And if and if and if all you do as as you seek to, to be a church, to live life as a church. If all you do is just try every, every Sunday when you gather together in your corporate gatherings, when you gather at your informal gatherings throughout the week, when you, when you start having session meetings, uh, if, if all you do is endeavor to love one another, to understand the other, to listen to the other, what else can you do? That's what God's calling you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you uh, thank you that you brought this body together. 
It is a marvelous work. It is a delight to all who see it, and it is your work. And we, uh, we want to just be faithful, and this body wants to be faithful. Lord, would you stir their hearts with affection for you and for one another in all that they do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have the privilege of uh, explaining a bit of what is going on this evening as far as the particularization part of the service goes. And uh, first, I want to... Uh, I want to introduce the members of the Commission of Presbytery. So the Presbytery is the Arizona Presbytery. It's our regional church. That includes all of the PCA churches in Arizona. And uh, tonight, on our commission, we have representatives from the other four churches here in Tucson. So the members of the commission are uh, Pastor Pete Rehrman at Holy Cross, uh, he's standing up there in the back, and he's going to come up in a minute. You'll get to hear from him. Uh, and then myself, and then Dan Smith, who you all know. He's been here with RUF. Uh, and then uh, uh, Mr. Herman Petersay. He's a ruling elder up at Catalina Foothills Church. He's, he uh, prayed for us earlier and offered the intercessory prayer. Uh, Don Adams. Don is way in the back, actually standing up there in the back. Uh, he's going to be coming down in just a minute to do the next section. And, uh, and then Marty Beal is a ruling elder at Desert Springs Presbyterian Church. So uh, what, a, what a really wonderful thing to have men from all of the churches here in Tucson that have been uh, supporting, for, supporting you and praying for you for these years. Um, so when it comes to uh, particularization, um, I mentioned earlier that we've examined all of the officer candidates and uh, we examined them in a number of areas, but then you elected them at a uh, congregational meeting. And so now that they've been elected, the, the presbytery uh, has come with a commission to, to uh, finalize the process, to bring this change, this transition uh, about. And so uh, as as uh, Charles mentioned at the beginning, uh, this is the last time you'll ever be known as Midtown Presbyterian Church Mission. Uh, you will no longer have that little mission afterwards. Now you'll, and uh, if you haven't been aware, you've been overseen, you've been given oversight by the Presbytery. And, uh, but from now on, because you have your own elders, you will have, you will give your own oversight to your church. And so, uh, <laughs> yes, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing this happen. So um, we, will, we will proceed just as it's uh, written here in your bulletin. You can follow along with the different steps that we're taking. Um, but uh, this is really a, a wonderful uh, time for us. We will, we will, um, you will get to see your elders take vows, and your deacons take vows, and your pastor take vows, and you will take vows. And so it's, in a sense, there's a, there's a, a wedding taking place here. There's a, a marriage. Uh, we're coming together as a body to become one. And, um, and then, and then these men that have been elected will be ordained by the laying on of hands, uh, which is according to Scripture, and prayed over and set apart for their ministry. And um, 
I just want to encourage you. I know there's going to be others saying more in just a little bit, but I want to encourage you uh, as you pray for your elders and deacons or as you have been to, to double those uh, beginning today, to double those because they're taking on an additional responsibility, a, a, new, a new calling. So without further ado, I'm going to ask Don to come and continue on with the...